Thank you. Um, thanks, Marcus, for that. It's sort of a nice segue into adulthood. Um, my name is Nilmi, and um, my background is water ma uh, is engineering and water management, so flooding, stormwater, etc. Uh, for most of my career in Australia, I have worked in local government in, in the natural systems area, managing catchments at Fairfield City Council in, in Western Sydney. Uh, my partner, Stephen, is a town planner. He, his background is in infrastructure planning, both in local government and consultancies. He's also written this book, which you can find on our website. We've got cards here. Uh, and he's doing his PhD on the circular economy and sustainable cities. Four years ago, we, we sort of quit the system because we were really anxious to really dive into this issue and, and we were feeling a little bit frustrated working in the system, not really getting all the green um, wins that we wanted. And we started Police Plan, which is our own little consultancy. Two years ago, we became a mobile consultancy. So we quit our jobs and we left our home and we moved into a motor home. So we could work with communities all over Australia who are really interested in the idea of being resilient and sustainable. And so we are here today to talk to you about a new paradigm for land development and town planning and our vision for a circular economy internet of cities. And so just a very quick thing, what we talk, Steve's going to talk to you about why we're talking about a city um, at an economic conference. Um, his, his PhD is actually in the political economy division at Sydney Uni. I'll talk to you about how we can design this new economic city um, to integrate principles of one-planet living and create a system that provides for our basic needs. And Steve will wrap up by talking about how all, many of the other um, alternative economic models that we talked about yesterday can actually fit in this vision. So. Okay, thanks, Neil. So, um, the, the, the key thing that I'd like to start with is why we talk about cities when we're talking about at an economics conference. What is it about, um, how, how do the two ideas connect? And so uh, we believe in order to move forward into a new economy, we need to understand fully our existing economy and how it was created and what it actually means. And so throughout this talk, I'd like to like you to keep two ideas in mind. They're the two ideas that uh, Kate Rayworth finished with yesterday, that cities new paradigm needs to be regenerative and it needs to be distributed. They're the two, two ideas. So the current economic model is take, make, use, dispose model. And, and so that means where we make and use things in the economy, we value it highly and places we take them from and dispose it to, we value it less. So it's about differentiating value. And so that's how we create our cities. We draw from the peripheries into the centre. So it's about, uh, it's not just linear, it's about centralising value. So that uh, uh, we do have a distributed network of cities around the planet, but some are valued more highly than others. So it's about drawing value from the periphery and from the environment into the centre. So that's the economic model that we've been created, that, that we've created. So we have economic growth, but only in the centre. You don't get economic growth in the periphery or in the environment only for the capital cities or for the, for the centre. And we have environmental harm, of course. So, so how did we develop this model? Where does it actually come from? And so the word city actually means a community of citizens. It's, it's what the Latin word was, what the Romans believed, and before them what the Greeks believed in the way that they constructed their cities. And so how did they do it? Who were the citizens? Well, the citizens were, of course, the free men who were able to do all of these other things 
because the women and slaves did all the work. So it's about deliberately dividing the society into two groups so that some have freedom and some do all the work. So it's a deliberate plan for inequality. It was a design feature of the, of the, of, of the model of city that they tried to develop. And there were reasons for that that we won't, can't really go into now, but essentially this frames all the language and the ideas that we have about what a city is. <coughs> it's about freedom and work, the division of freedom and work. How do we uh, aspire to or get towards freedom, which is the thing that we desire. And um, all the language that we have, the polis was the place where the men lived or, 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 or operated in order to do those activities that we mentioned earlier, sport, art, philosophy, politics, etc. And the household was the private domain versus the public domain, the economy versus the political domain. So we really can't talk about a new economy without talking about a new political system. So it's uh, a political economy that we need to talk about, not just an economy. And so we still have, you know, despite these attempts for everybody to get into the political domain, to get that freedom, we still create the structure of the system is still creditors and debtors, foreigners and citizens. It's all about division. How do we create this division in society, therefore inequality, in order for some people to be free at the expense of others? So it's about shifting the responsibility or shifting work from one group to another group. And so we have the division in our political thinking. Some on the left wanting equality, and on the right, the people already have freedom, want more freedom. So that, that's essentially the structure of our society. And it <coughs> comes from this worldview that the Greeks had of the polis as separate from the economy, from the household. So the polis, as they conceived it, wasn't the whole of the city-state. It was the free space in which the citizens were able to participate in things that were determined to civilize. So the word politia in Greek from polis, meaning civilized, means the ability to um, to do things, to, to elevate yourself above the basic necessities of life. So the natural uh, obligations. And so what we need to do is to create this holistic city. So the women did the agriculture, so all the food was outside of the city, for example, all the natural needs were satisfied in the household um, in, in that sort of space. And so we've created our cities in this exact same form, that the city is, excludes the rural areas. So the food systems that feed the people in the city are outside of the city. So what we need to do is, is shift that model to one in which food is in the city, is a, is a central part of the city. So this is a much more holistic approach. It embraces all of the, the basic needs that we have. Uh, it gives us a direct connection to land and the natural environment. And it starts to think of the city as a system that provides our basic needs. So how do we design a place that we participate in in order to receive the things that we need? That's why we work together <coughs> in one place, why we create a, a social system. And that then allows us to provide those basic needs, equal access to food and water and, and the basic needs for everybody. And this is kind of the schematic model of what we're trying to do and Neil will talk 
a little bit more about how we integrate food and water and energy systems into our built environment. Yeah, so at the heart of our vision is about bringing food into the city and that's something that town planners really talk about. So if you want to talk about bringing food into the city, we have to talk about irrigating it. So we have to automatically talk about water and then we have to think about how we're going to get water from air to be so we need energy as well. So the idea, as, and why we're talking about the circular economy, um, is because we really want to transition to zero waste, and we have to, we want to look at how the inputs of one system can be, the outputs of one system can be the inputs to another. So the whole dialogue in Europe about the circular economy is mostly about products. We are talking about integrating water, food, and energy into passively designed housing, so we can create a holistic system. Um, Marcus mentioned um, uh, that, uh, th that, that we have a crisis of consumption. And so one of the other things that we are talking about, because 40% of the heating that occurs in Australia is for sp space heating. And this is the same whether it's Tassie or it's Brisbane, because it's heating in one place, air conditioning in the other. And so by designing not just passively designed housing, but also looking at a combination of private and public spaces, by minimizing our private space and maximizing our shared spaces, we can actually address this issue. So there's heaps more I could say here, but as we know very well, if we look at the industry of energy or what's happening in water, in each of these spaces, there's a lot of technological advances, there's a lot of stuff happening. We want to bring it all together and integrate it so it's in resonance with our natural system. And this is how um, we can actually achieve one plan of living. So the other thing we're talking about is population. Let's look at a place, a catchment. Let's look at what we can harness from the natural environment. And let's look <coughs> at what constrains it so, so we can really plan for a population. And once we reach that population, we are thinking with a maximum of about 150 to 200 people. The number 150 comes from the Dunbar number. That's also the number where we can have interactions with each other. That's the number of people that we can, you know, we can really have proper relationships with um, before it gets too much for us. And, and so um, we talked about population yesterday. I think the issue with population is because everybody's trying to cram into our cities. We want to design smaller places that are designed in harmony with the environment and once that number, that, that constraint <coughs> is reached, we then create another city. And, and so this, um, and, and the other issue that we are talking about is create places that provide for our basic needs. Now, there's a lot of rhetoric that's happening around the idea of a basic income, but does this really address inequality? A universal basic income giving the same amount of people, money to everybody who has very different needs, whose starting point is very different, does not create equality. But what if we created places where you could get a place to live and water, food, and energy? Um, for free, uh, because the next thing that is, is obviously on our doorstep is, is this issue that technological advances in robots will reduce the amount of work that is available for us. 
So what if you create a place as well? Instead of working 40 hours a week, you get 15 hours of your day to keep in the assistance going. So we, we design a place with the right infrastructure, but then we sort of tend into zero in terms of um, we don't have to keep paying for our energy once we've paid for the infrastructure. If, if we have the right combination of energy in terms of um, solar, wind, wave, whatever it is that is suitable for that. Um, and, and, and yeah, and people that, the people who are living there are helping to maintain those systems. So the other thing that we've sort of talked about yesterday was supply chains. What if we had 3D printers in these places where all of the stuff that we are, um, we are coming up with in terms of waste, like take your plastic milk bottles, for example, can be scrunched down into pellets that can then make something else, like a piece of furniture that you can use in the place that you're living in. I mean, this is, this is not a utopian idea. This is already happening. There's a lot, if you look at a website called Precious Plastics, you can see that there's lots of ideas in terms of how your plastic can be recycled <coughs> in the place that you live. And some of those things can actually be made from scratch. So we don't actually have to be shipping stuff off to Malaysia. We can actually deal with the waste in the places that we live. We just have to make it easy for people because people don't really know uh, what to do. So they just keep buying heaps of stuff. And, but if we construct a place, if we design a place that actually deals with this issue, um, and a good example to have a look at are the Satyama villages in Japan. <laughs> David Attenborough has done a fantastic um, YouTube of these villages. They have existed for thousands, uh, like a thousand years, extremely sustainably. And now those villages, the, the thinking behind that is being made into policy in Japan. What was the name of the city? Satoyama, S-A-T-O-Y-A-M-A. Um, they're villages, they're ancient villages that, that sort of um, exist based on these principles of uh, sustainable regenerative, regenerative um, living. And, and, and so we've spent the last two years developing these visions, doing little projects with people around Australia, like in Tasmania, <coughs> with, with an eco-village there, with um, the community of Signet over there. But what we really want to do is to build a demonstration project. And to this end, we have written a vision uh, document. We've, we've got a website with, which will sort of give you the link at the end. But our, our two-year journey has brought us to Tweed Council, to Northern New South Wales. And we've been talking to the planners there. And they have given us an opportunity to present to Tweed Council in two weeks' time. Um, but not only that. We've, we've taken our ideas to CSIRO. Um, to, we've been speaking with Simon Tosdale, who, who run, who's in, in the Resilient Cities of the 21st Century Division, where they are doing amazing modeling in terms of water, energy, food, etc. And so they can look at a catchment and say, okay, the best mix of energy for this catchment is this. And so CSIRO have said they will collaborate with us Simon's actually going to come to help us in our presentation to council. We've also approached um, the University of Queensland and the Global Change Institute, and we've talked to a number of different researchers there. 
um, and especially Bill Balotti, who runs the food, not especially, but including Bill Balotti, who runs um, the food section. And a number of researchers from UQ have also said, yes, they will collaborate with us, not just to, to research and develop this vision. And so if the Council of Tweed says yes, then we can start looking for land and kind of make this a reality. We just believe that when the right time comes, we'll find the funders or some philanthropist who believes in us as much as we do. <laughs> um, so the idea is to find a piece of rural land and to embed land for our life, have a big agricultural zone, and then have a business park so it will in involve some rezoning of rural land. And this is something that, and this is why we are approaching the council up front, because we want this to be a journey that we go on with the council that is that believes in this. And the reason we chose Tweed is because they have an amazing DCP, a development control plan that talks about regenerative development. So this is another thing that you heard about yesterday from Kate. And we believe that this is the future. You know, it, it is about enhancing the land so it's good for the creatures as well as for us. And this is how we're going to live sustainably. But in addition, it's going to have an industrial circular economy embedded within the system. So we are talking about an incubation hub where we'll have all kinds of jobs, like there might be a work hub. So we might be able to invite some big IT company from Sydney to relocate some of its workers. But it's, it'll also have your bakeries and all the other bits and pieces that we need. Um, and and, and so once we've developed one and got the right policies in place, we can start to replicate it with tweakings, obviously, for the catchment conditions. And that's why we're talking about a distributed model and an internet of cities. So it's really about, uh, we, as I said earlier, we already have an internet of cities, as in a network of cities around the planet. But what we do is we maximize trade. And what we're saying is maximize the local and minimize trade or minimize the energy needed for trade. So um, that's essentially the model that we've started to develop now, starting to think of the internet as the connections rather than in terms of you know, road transport and rail transport and, and airplanes and so on. How can we transport as much over the internet, transport information over the internet so we can collaborate online as we saw Kate Rayworth's presentation yesterday, for example. And this is very consistent with the traditional indigenous way of looking at the world as a network of waterholes. So rather than thinking of cities as a congested capital where everyone has to live and work, whatever, we can travel through the landscape uh, between waterholes. And the waterhole, of course, was not just for water. It was where the fruit trees and the animals went. So it was where food was, and it was where they put their shelter and their, their fire. So and I might just, just add that we're also doing a project in the Atherton Tablelands with an indigenous community that is looking to go back on country. And so um, what they want to do is actually you know, to make use of new technology but combine it with their ancient knowledge. So and that was their driver. They said, yeah. we don't want you to tell us how to do community. They do community really well. What they needed was the technology. And uh, all of the eco-villages, the intentional communities that we visited struggle with community. 
So, um, uh, you, you know, it's a really neat fit for us to kind of learn from them and, and for them to learn from us. So, so that's, uh, and so um, I just want to talk briefly about how this model embraces a whole lot of the other economic models that you might be hearing around this presentation. So the idea of the circular economy as it's presented in Europe and in, in most of the um, research that you'll hear about circular economies about closed production cycles. But um, uh, the idea of uh, aligning with uh, the natural cycles is the idea of regenerative development so, or a regenerative economy. So some people talk about that as a future economic model. Steady state economy is about time. Like you have a growth phase, but you also have a degrowth phase. And so planning for life cycles uh, is another way, uh, is, is what the steady state economy is about. But thinking in cycles again is why we're emphasizing the idea of a circular economy. And, uh, and also the sufficiency economy is about minimizing what we need. And we're also talking about minimizing demand, but um, not just minimizing it per se, but doing it as efficiently as possible so that we have as much free time as possible. So rather than shifting responsibility from one group to another, how do we make the system, the basic needs provided as efficiently as possible so we can have as much uh, freedom as possible? So uh, I'll just flick through those slides. This is why we're talking about uh, developing a new narrative. A holistic system is about compassion. We're all in this together. Distributed in terms of equality, efficiency to minimize work freedom. So they're the ideals of the French Revolution except we don't use fraternity because it undermines equality. So let's talk about compassion. So that's it, oh, just some key points, importance of narratives, agriculture in the city, think holistically, focus on distributive efficiency and internet of cities, match the population to, um, to the capacity of the infrastructure in that place. So that, that's our website that we are developing to encompass these ideas in terms of how the practical visioning can be, can be made into a reality. So the word utility has come because we see this place that we are dreaming of as a mix of a combination of beauty and utility. <coughs> a blending of beauty. A blending of beauty and utility. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. So does anyone have any questions? Um, really love the, the vision for the infrastructure, etc. Um, totally with you as an architect and a builder. Um, the soft technology, the people side of things. That's um, what sort of. And I'm really excited to hear that you're looking at partnering with an indigenous um, crew up north to learn about um, what is the community. So, what what other insights have you got in that side of things? Yeah, I'd like to answer that because. One of the things we struggle, we spent about six months traveling through Europe, visiting different eco-villages and potential communities and so on. We did the same around Australia as well. And Asia. And Asia. Um, and one of the things that, that we came across over and over again is it started with a core group of people uh, who had this vision. And so they gathered other people around them. And then over 90% of eco-village startups don't work. And, and this is because they're struggling with the idea of developing the land. And so they're, they're developing community at the same time as they're developing land. And if you remember um, yesterday, Mary Graham's talk was about <coughs> relational econo economics. It was about separating off those two things, separating off the management of the land, which is about listening to the land, understanding the land, 
And that requires some technical expertise in water and food systems and energy management and designing of buildings, architectural design and so on. So it's the same as when you, you, uh, you want to buy a house. You can either buy the land and build the house or you can buy a finished house. So when you're offering that other alternative, how can you buy a finished product, buy into a finished product as a community or group of people, rather than forming the community and then trying to work out what it is that you have to build here and where are you going to build it. So it's, a, it's making that shift and separating the <coughs> relationship between land and, and people as opposed to relationships between people. And, and Vincent Churchill said, we shape our buildings and thereafter they shape us. So we are trying to shape our city, believing that if you can create the right spaces, spaces and community will organically form because people will People are working together to provide their yeah. basic needs. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have a strong ally with the, the chief uh, Victorian architect who, who is interested in the fourth sector? What would you describe? Okay. The, the community-based developers developing a place for community as opposed to for-profit. Can we get some details more. after? Yeah. 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 Cool. Some more questions? Yeah. Over there? Yep. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so I'm going to find you with the question I had earlier. So the factor that runs home as to why Seoul was successful with its things is it population density, stuff like that. But they've also got a really, they've got a booming urban agriculture scene. So, um, the... Seoul, yeah, Seoul, Korea. Um, the, so, one of the other ideas to get that sort of happening is getting the foundation idea to people in these areas. If we want something like that over here, it, it's more of the case of the people in the know, people in the room, see when we do have a startup, let's start going there. And so I'm sort of with the group that's starting that up, an urban ag forum in Brisbane. So I just wanted to make that statement as a connected to nice event, but there is. Yeah. Okay. okay, have we got any other questions? Any questions? Thank you. So much that was so um, stimulating. And I guess my question is about the other side. If, if you had this sort of community technology, um, where uh, do you feel like you um, can hook onto the? I don't know how to express this. And I've got this awful ear infection, so bear with me in my sentences. The, the, set of, the set of professional knowledge that could allow you to construct the technology and the the. Um, the way that the energy, water, and buildings all come together with enough capacity for it to be shared, so that it's not built on the current kind of public-private models of intellectual property and legal ownership that currently make it very difficult to use those systems. Yeah. So one of the things that we are looking at, which I didn't mention, was also the <coughs> structures. So we want to actually change the paradigm in terms of private ownership, yeah. and we are thinking of looking at a system where perhaps a company might own the land, and you might be buying shares into the company. Um, Sun Villages in Canberra is already—it's a development that's happening where where this 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 other way of access is being looked at. What into was the name of it? Sun Villages, Sun S U N Villages yeah. in Canberra. And this is a company owned and by the citizens of the residents, not. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and so we're also looking at um, having just one meter for the village. So we're not going to be metering everybody separately. Um, and you know, blockchain technology and all of this is going to make it simpler as well. There was another question. I think one, back one last question yeah. in the back. Yeah, um, great work on extending on the circular economy, by the way, that's awesome. Um, why can't you touch on the business? And they are the masters of survival. <coughs> and um, I think 
one thing that they do that our modern arrogance doesn't do is consider rest into the process. Mm. And a city never rests. Mm. And so therefore it can't regenerate because yeah. we're here giving it pressure for yeah. the time. And I'd love to know how that kind of it's refurbishing yes. itself is, is factored in. Yeah. Oh, it's all about freedom. Uh, yeah. the, the freedom element was the, the idea around all this is the, one of the fundamental human drivers is the pursuit of freedom. And this, is, this underpins the idea of spirituality, which is about getting out of our natural condition and, and all of these, these ways of freedom from our natural necessities is, uh, is kind of the fundamental driver of um, many human activities. Um, or human nature. So, um, so what we talk about is John Maynard Keynes talked, mentioned, or, or wrote a paper in 1930 saying that by 2030, technology should have advanced so much that we'd be working now more than 15 hours a week. So that would be the case if we're distributing fairly, right? If we're filling that time with bullshit jobs because that's what you know, we have to do in order to get our basic needs satisfied, then um, then we need to, well, it, it just can't work. It can't, it, it, the system's collapsing. That's, that's what is happening. We're just creating jobs for the sake of people being able to feed themselves. So how do we create a system that provides those basic needs efficiently and then we have the freedom to do other things? And the direction that we go in that space, like the, the $64 million question is what will we do with that freedom? Uh, will it be, you know, pursue art and, and other things, or, or I don't know. But, but we have to create the freedom in order to, to be able to do that. Yeah, I think one of the things that's interesting is, is that the environment provides all the value for the economy. Mm. The economy absolutely contributes zero back into the environment of the environment. Yeah. I think this is a paradox that needs to take place, and it's not a government that influences it, it's every single individual acting right. in that space. That's right. And it's about, yeah, it's not, this is about creating an alternative system that makes the existing system obsolete. And it's about creating it in rural areas where you can draw people out of the cities into a network of, of places. So that's what we're trying to do. Okay, we might wrap up the session there. Move another round of applause for Stephen and Bill.